Welcome to the Photo Posting Podcast with me, Josie. On this episode, I chat to a photographer, Jonathan Strait, about his street portraiture, and in particular, his new book, Vegans in Iceland. Although Jonathan isn't specifically concentrating on environmental matters, his topics often reflect them or relate to them in some way. Hear more about his style, his relationship to people in his images, and his other photography books, including about the ambulance service in Israel. And also you'll hear about him finding thousands of black and white family negatives and how his late father was his photographic inspiration. He picked up his first camera as a seven-year-old. Carry on listening to find out more. I'm really pleased this time on the Photo Posting Podcast to be joined by a photographer who specialises in documentary, portrait and and street genres, Um, although I think he will probably be able to tell us an awful lot more about his um, passion for photography and his interest in photography. Um, But that is Dr. Jonathan Strait. So welcome, Jonathan. Really, really pleased to have you here. Thank you, Josie. It's a real pleasure to be with you. And you're chatting to me from uh, Yorkshire, Leeds, is that right? Yes, I'm in Leeds, North Leeds, just on the edge. So built up behind me and green fields in front of me. Beautiful. I do have a slightly hazy memory of Leeds. I had a friend at my at college who lived in Murfield and um, spent a, a couple of, of weekends visiting Leeds many moons ago. <laughs> it's an interesting place is Murfield. My, my late father, who was an avid photographer and maybe we'll, we'll talk about later, uh, was by profession uh, a child and adolescent psychiatrist. Okay. And Murfield was actually in his patch. I'm actually down in Cornwall and I believe you've recently visited Cornwall and the Eden Project, is that right? Yeah, it was just before lockdown and um, I'd met Sir Tim Smith a couple of times when he visited Leeds. We have a a, a mutual uh, acquaintance and uh, I'd spoken to him about whether there was something to document, whether there was something to photograph and he said, well, come down, you know, spend a day and uh, let's see what happens. So uh, I spent a day at the Eden Project and um, there weren't really people to photograph, but there were mm. lots of interesting shapes and objects and geometric formations of uh, parts of geodomes and that kind of thing. So yeah. the, 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 the shots I came back with were, were really very different from anything I'd done before and, and indeed anything I've, I've done since. They were very arty, sort of black and white geometric shapes. Um, mm. Anyway, he, he loved them and, uh, and said, you know, I recognise all the things you photographed, but you really made them look very different um, to how they would look in, you know, if you were if you were actually there. I'd really love to be able to see them at some point. So do do um, let us know um, where they're where they whether they're online on a website or, or somewhere else. Um, I, I will, of course, them. those are set up as as NFTs, actually. So people who want to speculate on uh, Digital artwork can uh, can have a look at those. Just sort of going going back in time uh, even more than than over just over twelve months ago. You mentioned your, your late father, and I believe he was um, instrumental in 
in your sort of love and uh, understanding of photography and it was um, in his dark room at home that, that you sort of got your grounding and, and started off. Um, well, I mean, it, what it age was that? Well, uh, my, my first camera, um, I, I was, I think I had when I was seven years old and I used to like playing with bits of electronic stuff or, you know, whatever was lying around um, that people were wanted to get rid of. And somebody put a Kodak Brownie in, in my toy mm -hmm. box. Uh, and so I had to get some film for it. And I, and I think my first, my first photographs, which are pretty lousy, were taken at seven <laughs> years old. Um, and I then got bought a 35 millimeter camera for my 10th birthday. Um, again, you know, nothing, nothing fantastic, but a camera where you had to set everything manually. Yes. Which taught me how to take photographs. And my, yeah. my father was a, a, a very keen photographer, always 35 millimeter and black and white, probably until, you know, nobody really was using black and white. Then he switched to color slides. But uh, in the years he was using black and white, um, he put a dark room together, which was actually in the in the family bathroom. <laughs> um, and, you know, you were in or you were out. And I, <laughs> I used to go in and he'd... Uh, you know, black out the window, lock the door, um, put a piece of wood over the bath so he could stand all his all his chemical trays on there, and uh, it it was great fun to watch what he did. And you know, that's how I learned about dodging and burning, and uh, you know, exposing different parts of the uh, of the paper at different rates. Um, and although I never did any physical work in a dark room. The, the digital work mm. I, I came to do later on followed the same sort of pattern. So um, it was a good grounding and he was a pretty good photographer. Did he did he have um, a sort of a preference or any particular style? Did Was he, because um, I mean, it'd be, we'll talk in a moment about sort of your street work and you, you do an awful lot of work, photographs of people. Um, was that his thing or was he more sort of... Um, environmental architecture was there a was there a, a distinctive element to not his work? really i think mostly he was taking pictures of of his family although Lovely. um when he passed away i found an archive of black and white negatives um it was an old shoe box wow. and there were about six thousand negatives in this box uh, maybe oh, maybe wow. not quite six maybe it was six thousand with some color slides but certainly several thousand in the box and um, there were pictures of um, Christmas at the hospital he would have been working at at the time and uh, the oh, staff wow. play and some of the inmates and this kind of thing. But mostly it was pictures of family gatherings and he was the one who turned up with a camera um, and documented, um, you know, who was there. Uh, yeah. so, um, it was mainly pictures of people and he... He was pretty good at taking pictures of people uh, insofar as family, you know, family shots go. What an amazing find. Um, I must admit myself, whenever I visit my my mum, I'm always, uh, she keeps all her old photographs in um, an old handbag. And I always, I'm always find myself drawn to it, sort of rooting through, but to find something like that. And so uh, did you manage to actually print all of the images out then from? Well, what I did was have them, uh, digitized because I remember many of these photographs as little three by three prints yeah. in, in, in albums and they've become quite faded 
Mm. Um, when I had them scanned, I was really taken with the the, the vivid contrast. Um, I don't know what film he used, but the blacks were black, the whites were white. And mm. that was something I was very keen to achieve in my own photography, a, a sort of high contrast. Um, and it really brought these images to life. You know, they, a lot of them were pictures I was very familiar with, but I've never seen them in, in their true glory as it were before. Yeah. I mean, you saying that with um, that influence on your own work and you are on um, Instagram um, and your Instagram um, page is just fantastic black and white portraits of, of people. Um, and obviously this is your your street style. And I've already, I mean, I've had a really lovely look through and those, the, there is one, I think, from 2018, which is Belly Out on Blackpool Beach, which is stuck in <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But But, you know, out of, out of all of the ones, you know, um, yeah, such great, great images there. And, uh, and most of the people have no idea that they're on Instagram. Um, yeah. And some of them have had very large prints put on walls at exhibitions, at, at galleries and also have no idea, which is quite fun. Although I did do one exhibition uh, of photographs taken at Leeds Pride. And by the end of the six week uh, term that ran for, probably half of the subjects had come in or uh, had found out and, and I'd subsequently met them. And I decided if anybody, if anybody discovered that they were my subjects, I would give them the prints. And these were yes. big, you know, they were maybe um, four by five feet. They were quite large prints. Um, but uh, yeah, about half of the people I'd photographed um, ended up getting in touch and some of them are still in touch and that's quite nice. That's brilliant. So when you, when you find then that when you're actually out and about um, on the streets taking photographs of people and, um, that you know some of the a lot of the people in your images are looking directly at you so there's an awareness that they've been photographed but do they just then move on do you ever stop and have interactions with them so, sometimes I, I mean when they're looking at the camera they're not necessarily aware i'm taking a photograph mm. they might they might be a bit uncertain they might think i might be taking a photograph Quite often people apologise for getting in the way, <laughs> um, which is great because, you know, I photograph them. And, and you learn all sorts of techniques for actually being very, very close to people. Because I've, mm. I've shot most of this work with a, a Fujifilm X100, which is, um, you know, a, a, a prime lens. I, I think it's yes. uh, 28 millimetre. Um, so you've got to be fairly near to the subject to get to get a good shot. Mm. And um, you learn ways of actually standing very close to people and taking their picture. And they may even see you, but they don't actually believe you're taking a picture of them. Mm. Um, probably once a year, somebody kicks off and asks okay. me to delete the picture. But um, that's fine. You know, obviously you don't want people to be unhappy. And I have to say, I take a perverse pleasure if somebody is really kicked off and not asked me to delete the picture to get that one up on Instagram pretty quickly. <laughs> Do you around, I mean, the sort of the ethics then of, of, of taking um, photographs um, on the street? Because 
if you're on a high street as a photographer, as long as you're not harassing someone, you, you can take someone's photograph. Um, you, you can, yeah. And, you know, if somebody goes out, uh, they they are putting themselves at risk of their image being taken. Their image is being yeah. taken all the time anyway well, by exactly. TV. Um, sometimes uh, there are interactions. Some people, sometimes people stop and talk to me. Um, there was a, a, a Russian lady I photographed on Oxford Street and she, she stopped me and she said, well, look, if you are going to take a picture of me, why don't you take a good one? Uh, and she <laughs> posed. And the funny thing is, you know, we've kept in touch. We, we, we chat on Instagram from time to time. We, we meet for a coffee sometimes if I'm in, if I'm in London. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really bizarre where, where your connection to somebody is only that you randomly took their photograph in the street. Yeah. And there are quite a lot of people that I've met that way. It, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. That's brilliant. I mean, did you did you ever feel nervous about street photography? And when you when you were first, I mean, you're obviously drawn to photographing people. In, in general, I'm quite confident that there are things that can happen that knock you. Um, mm. So somebody having a row with you can yeah. can really affect your confidence. Or, or the other thing is, if you go out for a day and you you actually come back with nothing. You know, mm. you, you've you've actually walked the streets for a whole day and take lots of pictures, and they're all lousy. That's a bit disheartening. Uh, but in the main, no, I'm I'm fairly confident about what I do, um, and I, you know, there are all these tricks you can sort of pretend to be photographing something, and then as you are supposedly mm. reviewing your shot, you actually take a picture of somebody who's standing two feet away from you. So there are tricks where you can actually be very, very close to somebody and take their picture and they actually have no idea what mm-hmm. they're doing. I mean, I think, wasn't it, um, I don't know the exact names of them, but there were cameras, weren't there, with the lenses where you could point one way, but actually the lens was cut out in the side and so it took the picture. So it's they... true when there was also <laughs> a, a very early camera which was designed to fit into a brown paper parcel um, so it was disguised as a as a parcel somebody was carrying, but it actually was a camera. Wow. So um, these sort of um, covert uh, cameras have been around from very early on. People people seemed to want to document what was happening in the street mm. um, from quite early in the evolution of photography. Yeah, definitely. One of the other things I'd really like to talk to you about as well is the the fact that you have two books um we and the first one is um i think it's 2018 but do please correct me if that's if that's wrong but that was called blood sweat tears and helicopters and that's right that was actually photographing the israeli ambulance service service so how on earth did you end up doing that well the book has actually been redone this year as blood sweat tears and covid19 so it's a slightly expanded edition with a bit more information in it and some some uh images of the covid response um which i didn't take because i wasn't able to go there but uh, Mm -hmm. um there's there, there are more of my shots in the book um so I'd done a couple of shoots in Israel, which is an amazing country for street photography because Mm. you have a a really divergent population. They're they're dressed in all sorts of different ways. 
there, there are lots of really interesting people. And because it's a country with a big tradition of tourism, you don't look out of place with a camera wherever you are. So people are quite at ease with, with photographers. In fact, when I photographed Pride in Tel Aviv, which I did in, in 2018, I'd never seen so many photographers at an event. It was unbelievable. And the kit these guys have got, just, just beyond belief. Um, you know, one guy was talking to had a medium format Fuji film on one side and a Leica on the other side. Some serious, <laughs> serious equipment. But um, there, there's a charity in London that raises money for the ambulance service in Israel to okay. buy to buy vehicles, to buy to buy ambulances and to buy uh, motorbikes. Mm -hmm. And I was helping them with a with a project when they saw my street photography. And they said, we really like what you're doing. And we commission a lot of photography, but it's all staged and it looks staged. Yeah. What, what do you think about going out in an ambulance? And I was quite apprehensive because, you know, there's a, there's a real randomness to what you might end up seeing. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I had another trip to Israel booked. I was working on a, a street photography project which is yet to see the light of day um which is called faces of the galilee okay. um so i had this trip booked and i said well look set up a day and i'll i'll do a day uh you, you go as a volunteer on on an ambulance crew mm -hmm. except i had a camera and um it's quite challenging from a photographer's point of view because You've only got available light in the ambulance. Mm. It's not bad light, but it's it's it it it, it is what it is. The, the vehicle is moving, and you haven't got a great deal of space because generally there's a patient on a stretcher yeah. being attended to by a couple of people. Um, and the other thing is, I was told I was not allowed to show the faces of the patients. Mm -hmm. So there were a few challenges to deal with, but I did the shoot. Thankfully, we didn't attend anybody that day who was in particularly dire need. We, we picked up people, took them to hospital. You know, you'd have a patient on the stretcher, blood pressure being taken, this kind of thing. And mm. I was sitting at the back of the patient's head. So I had quite a good vantage point um, where the face wasn't visible, but you could see everything that was going mm. on. So I did a few shots brought them back. The, the guys in London loved them and commissioned uh, a few prints for their office. So I did some quite large prints for their office walls. And then we got talking about books and this this project, this street photography project I was working on. And they said, do you think we could have a book? So I said, well, yes, but I need to spend quite a bit more time mm. um, and I need to see everything that's going on. So I arranged a week and uh, spent a week with ambulance crews uh, all over Israel. And the amazing thing is you, you have Jewish crews, they might be religious crews, they might be secular, mm. you have Arab crews, you have mixed crews, you have every kind of person you can imagine working in these vehicles. And the people that you're treating, the people you're attending to, are of the same mix. Yeah. And nobody says, oh, well, hang on, we can't come to you because you're, you're, you're this colour or that yeah. colour. Everybody is treated equally. And I thought this was a story that really needed to be told. Um, so I documented what I saw and I, I photographed their call centres. I photographed the laundry. I, 
you know everything yeah. i saw i took pictures of i came back with about two and a half thousand images um and one of my one of my bits of the brief if you like were to show the diversity of the organization mm. um so i had all my pictures laid out and frankly you couldn't tell the ethnic the ethnicity of mm -hmm. people just by looking at their image i needed something a bit more visible a visual way to show diversity mm -hmm. and then i thought i wonder if they have any uh, any crew female crew who wear uh, islamic headdress who wear a, a hijab mm. and they said well probably we do we'll have a look we'll see so i went back and took a whole load more photographs um with with some bedouin women who were running a, an ambulance crew and 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 that's given me this very visual demonstration of the diversity of the organization yeah. so it was an amazing project to do and the book was given to donors of this charity um and it has been very well received so it, it was a great thing for me and they actually use my images in all of their press advertising now as well that was your first book and now you've actually this year um have you published it or is it just about to be published it's called vegans in iceland or of iceland yeah vegans in iceland yes. exists it, it 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 is in print um there are quite a lot of copies in my garage if anybody, <laughs> if anybody wants one um but this is this is the story so i i used to go somewhere every year on my own uh, i was given a sort of dispensation by the family to go off for a week and take photographs um, so I did a couple of Israel trips, as I've explained, but I also spent a week in Ibiza, which was really interesting. <laughs> um, I spent odd days. We had a family holiday in Spain, so I nipped off to Tangiers for a day. Fantastic. Um, so, you know, always interested to go to exotic places and take some pictures. Mm. Um, and I'd read, um, I read a book by an Icelandic author and uh, thought, you know, Iceland sounds a really quirky place. I wonder um, if Reykjavik should be my next destination. Mm. Um, so I started looking at Reykjavik and um, I, I follow a plant-based diet. I'm, I'm a vegan. So obviously anywhere I go for any length of time, I have to be sure I'm going to be able to eat food and survive because yeah. there are parts of the world where it you would really be difficult. can't do that. <laughs> um, so I started... Um, I found a lady on Facebook who ran a, a site called Vegan Travellers to Iceland and I explained what I wanted to do. And she said, well, if you're coming to Reykjavik, we do, we do the Cube of Truth on a Sunday. Maybe you'd like to photograph that. What's the Cube of Truth? I had no idea. So this is, it happens all over the world, apparently. And uh, people stand uh, back to back or in a, or in a quadrant they wear Guy Fawkes masks mm. and they hold flat screens, so laptops or, or televisions, which show footage of animals being abused or slaughtered. And the, the idea is that this attracts attention and people engage in conversation and they try to convert them to being vegan. And apparently mm. they're quite successful. So I thought, well, yeah, this, this is this is fine. I, you know, why not? Um, I said, I'd love to. Um, but um, is there anything else or anyone else that that might be interesting to photograph? And this list came back of the most incredible characters. 
um, she told me about uh, a transgender vegan baker. She told me uh, about uh, an octogenarian vegan, uh, a famous Icelandic footballer who was a vegan, and, and it went on and on. And I began to think there was a, a project here. Um, I, I don't normally do portraits where people sit. You know, mm. I normally capture what's happening. That's really my, my skill. But I thought, well, what's the difference? You know, if somebody's sitting in a room, I'll just approach it in the same way. I'll try and capture the immediacy of, of what personality I'm perceiving yeah. from this person. So I booked, I don't know, I think there were about 16 sittings. Uh, and I went to Iceland and did them. Uh, it wasn't just in Reykjavik. I, I went to other parts of, of Iceland. I actually took an internal flight uh, up to the north. I met a vegan female champion weightlifter um, yeah. and uh, a, a couple who were yoga teachers. I mean, they're amazing people and they're all vegans, but they're all so different. Yes. Yeah. And I also took pictures of Iceland. I took pictures of um, shops that had vegan signs and uh, went around the supermarket and took lots of pictures of products and packaging um, and then uh, went up to the uh, the old whaling station, which is miles mm -hmm. from anywhere. And there were two boats there which were blown up by Sea Shepherd in the 1980s, two whaling boats, and, and they're moored uh, in, in, in this little, uh, little lake. Um, that was an amazing thing. And I photographed one of the activists I met with these, these two boats as a backdrop. So I got some really interesting pictures. And I thought, you know what? There's enough here to do a book. Um, and working with the same designer I worked with for the previous project, uh, mm -hmm. I put this together. And uh, it's, it's an interesting piece of work. I mean, the, the motivation was, this is the quirkiest thing anybody will have on their coffee table. <laughs> you want a talking point, get a copy of Vegans in Iceland because... Uh, it, it, it will just make you look like you're so cool when you've got this on your coffee table. <laughs> so, so it's available on Amazon and it's also available at, at vegansiniceland.com. Well, you very kindly um, sent through um, the, the mock-up um, for me to have a, a, a look at. So I really do appreciate that. And as you say, there are some really interesting people in there with lots of different stories, but actually photographs with a, with with the text as well that that actually expands on what the the image is and tells uh, you know sort of that real gives that person real personal detail it works really well in in this book um well it's kind of you to say that the challenge with a book is always how do you structure it mm. because for me when i go out and take the photographs i've no idea what what this is going to look like when when it comes back and um, with uh, with the the ambulance book, there was a there was a structure that emerged um, based on this blood, sweat, and tears um, wording, which which they had used to describe their service. So um, the the pictures were able to be sorted. With, with with this one, it was really a matter of well, let's tell a story, you know, of visiting a country and what I discovered and what I saw, and then talk about these people one after another um mm. but but put them in some kind of order so there's there's a bit of a, 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 a an evolving story and, and and what you see is they're all very different people the the, the thing that 
yes. the common thread is is their diet but they've all come to it for different reasons yeah. and they're all from very different backgrounds uh, yeah definitely and I, mean, I think that's got... what's interesting about it um Absolutely. You've got someone, a gentleman in in uh, one of the portraits who I think is playing table tennis. Yeah, he was 83 at the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, just just really, really great stories. Um, you've, you've got uh, um, a, a woman who I think is on TV in Iceland. Yes, she's a she's a famous presenter of a, a daily culture show in Iceland. I was rather hoping she'd invite me to go go on her culture show as a guest but uh, you never know <laughs> not yet <laughs> you never know but you've got um artists therapists chefs i mean just yeah such a a wonderful range of of um people as well and and touching on the politics of it mm. I mean, well one... they're all a lot of them are activists yes and i think what you find in in iceland is people are activists for many causes so if they care about one thing then they will start to care about other things mm. so one lady as we were walking through the, the marina in Reykjavik kept stopping to pick up litter because she said you know this will this will harm an animal yes uh, and 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 that was sort of her activism um plastics in the ocean litter in the street and and veganism Others had come to veganism through uh, perhaps a struggle with their gender or, or a political mm. uh, political struggle. Uh, the politics in Iceland are convoluted with a small number of people who control most of the resources and mm. a lot of people fighting against that. So it's really good to actually give voice, I guess, to, to people as well. And that's something you've done through this book because you do have so many different different people but with that one you, you know there is that one connecting um element for all yeah and, and in fact somebody said when i was first promoting the book uh, i can't think of a title less likely to sell a book and i took that <laughs> as a great compliment because <laughs> you know i didn't really do this to sell books i did it because there was a story i wanted to tell yeah and, um, I, yeah. I actually love making books of photographs i mean obviously for yourself you say you follow a plant um, a plant-based diet yes. and um, you know it has I guess veganism has grown so much in the last few years regardless of the arguments around sort of the environmental impact of being a vegan as opposed to eating meat um, I'm quite interested in the things from a photographic point of view because obviously back in the day when it was film and, and, and printing film traditionally used to use gelatin as part mm. of its makeup um and when i'm sometimes running my workshops i i i now make sure that i get um you know you try your best but sort of use art project uh, products that aren't um don't use gelatin in in their makeup because watercolor paper can be sized with gelatin so yeah you know there's all these different considerations as well and it's, yeah, it's, it's a, quite it's a, a commitment it's interesting. It's not something I'd particularly thought about. I think there's such a a, a romance about the, the phrase silver gelatin. So yeah. <laughs> maybe I need to think again. Although to be fair, I haven't I haven't printed anything for quite for quite some yes. time. Yeah. Um, you know, I only print for exhibitions or if somebody buys somebody buys something or somebody wants yeah. uh, somebody wants a print of, of you know, sometimes people get in touch on and say, I really like that this particular shot on Instagram, you know, can I, can I have a copy? 
um, and I say, well, how big do you want it? Because, um, you know, these little Fuji compacts will quite happily blow up to, um, mm. you know, 600 by 400 millimeters, no problem, uh, with, with, with very good clarity. Mm. Um, and same picture taken with my, my Leica Q, e even bigger. I'd really like to see see them. I think that's the one thing. It's it's been wonderful being able to connect with people, um, and more people, you know, sort of um, working online and sharing and meeting online, becoming slightly second nature. But I think sometimes you do have to have the opportunity, don't you, to be able to see things. Um, I think so. It's, it's as it, well. It, it, it makes a big difference. Um, I'm actually uh, a trustee of an art gallery in Leeds called the Tetley, and um, obviously it's been closed most of lockdown mm. um and looking at the exhibitions online just just isn't quite the same as being there in person no it, it's it's a good it's a good it's better than nothing <laughs> and i think the i guess the one the one plus thing as well is i always sort of feel well at least it gives maybe people who would never have the opportunity to potentially go there in person it does open the doors in that sense but yeah that's definitely um, something like you say, seeing something in, in person really can can be sort of a from, guess, from a photographer's point of view, it's yeah. been a good time because all of the brands have been pumping content out, mostly yeah. without charge, um, and so you get to watch experts in certain fields explaining how they use software, mm -hmm. or um, you get to see. Uh, some very famous photographers speaking about their their, their work. Mm. Um, companies like uh, Leica, I'm on, I'm on the Leica mailing list, they, they've put out some amazing content. Yeah. Um, and normally they charge an awful lot of money for, for, for stuff, but they've, they've put on quite a lot without charge, which has been a, a pleasure, a pleasure really over lockdown. I hope it carries on. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully it's a it's a, a good sort of learning curve as well, maybe for companies, um, you know, just trying things differently. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> well, it, it allows them to gain information about people, mm. and what people are thinking, what, what people own and what people are thinking about buying. Mm. Um, but also um, the whole media. I mean, when I, I did a I did a, a Zoom um a Zoom webinar about vegans in Iceland um, when it when it first came out, and I got people from all over the world. Mm. You know, people who were following me on social media uh, in the Far East, in the Middle East, in the Americas, literally all over the world. And, and I would never get that audience if I put on yes. a physical exhibition. Yes. Yes, yes. So it definitely, I think, um, keeping both in person and online is probably going to be um, the the long term future, as you know, for us anyway. Hopefully, because it, yeah, it does, so. like you say, opens uh, more opportunities. Um, with your your work and your your street photography and your portraiture, your documentary photography, obviously, when I'm looking at it, it's very much about the environment that people are in the the places that that they um exist in they move through um is that something that you think about in your work when you're taking photographs the actual um place as much as the person well my my my, my focus to be honest is, is the person but but in order to photograph that person i have to be in a place and mm. 
I will choose places because um, they're places where I think I'll find interesting subjects uh, or there are, pl there are places where it's going to be busy because the busier it is, the easier it is to, mm. to get very close to people um, without them necessarily noticing you. So, you know, somewhere like Westminster Bridge uh, is the most brilliant location because everybody's gazing at Big Ben. <laughs> it's probably great for pickpockets as well. But um, I've got a great shot in, in, in one of the rooms in my, in my house of uh, a lady taking a picture of Big Ben with, with a Leica M9. And I am, you, you can literally read the numbers off the dial of her camera. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm that near. Wow. Um, so I know all, all the settings she used to take that shot. <laughs> um, but uh, sometimes, you know, uh, East London, you've got fantastic street art and graffiti mm. in the background. Um, which, which can really add uh, add something to 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 a shot. Um, so it is important, and and I I think it's probably something I should take more notice of. Um, where my work has been criticised in the past, uh, the word context has has come up quite a bit. Mm. You know, the picture of the person is great, but what's the context? And uh, that probably needs a bit a bit of work in terms of you know how do we place this person in their background let's not just have the aperture wide open so we get this lovely blurry mm. okay but but maybe talk about what is happening in, in what is happening behind the person or around the yeah person. sort of yeah and what's what's maybe outside of the frame i, mm. I guess as well and yeah. although it's really good i think some you know to if you're looking at um street photography pictures of people um on location I quite like that sense for me personally of, of, of almost being able to make up the story about what might be mm. well that that was interesting when I did this um, I did an exhibition of, of photography at Leeds Pride and it, it ran for six weeks uh, mm. I, I was I was given a shop in a, a nice smart shopping centre in the centre of Leeds and uh, I had to pay everything else other than the rent so it actually was quite an expensive exercise but what was interesting was over the six weeks gradually people would come and say oh, I know that person I'm going to tell them uh, and and I found um, quite a lot of the people who I'd photographed now what was interesting was when you actually meet them and find out their stories they're generally nothing like you imagined <laughs> um, and, and and it was almost like you know it, that there might be a novel in this, you know, what, yeah. what I thought this person would be like and actually what, what they're really like. Um, often their, their age is very different to how they come across in the photograph. And so you have a whole story you're building around this, this fictitious person. And, you, you know, you think, well, maybe they're this, maybe they're that. And then yeah. you, you read them, it blows everything away. They're completely different. So... For you then, um, Jonathan, in, in sort of relation to photography and um, the environment, how do you think your photography can actually perhaps promote or enhance um, environmental matters? And is that something with mm. the vegans in Iceland that you wanted to do? It, it's a very interesting question. And if I tell you that in my professional life, I built up a business which was 
and still is the UK's biggest supplier of recycling bins, and that the work I do now uh, is primarily around uh, environment, about preventing food waste um, and developing waste management in uh, the low income parts of the world where they don't have any. So all of that is going on in the background. Um, photography is a bit more of an escape, I suppose. And yeah. I haven't really thought about using the medium to promote those um, those ideals because I suppose they are fulfilled hugely in, in the voluntary and professional work uh, mm. I do the rest of the time. But certainly the 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 uh, the motivation to publish vegans in iceland was to say look at this it, it, it's not as weird as you think mm. um here's a country where everybody imagines people are stuffing their face with with, with whale blubber um and uh you know can't get enough of of eating fish and meat and mm. actually there are a huge huge number of people who uh, if they're not wholly vegan, certainly identify mm. with vegans, are happy to join the Vegans in Iceland Facebook group, which I think has got a huge proportion of the population uh, following it. Um, and so if it's not that crazy, then maybe you should think about it. Maybe it's something that you could do yourself, even one day a week, and, and that would have huge impact on, on the environment and mm. your health. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely worth um, people considering. Um, so what's actually next for you then? Um, you've, you've got your new, the, the latest book out. Um, are you sort of just in the promotion stage of, of your book? Is that something that you, you'll do more of or are you starting new projects? You mentioned one that you, you hadn't, hadn't yet really seen the, the light of day. Yeah, so that's yeah. something you might go back to. Well, it would be nice to sell a few copies of Vegans in Iceland because um, I have a quite a lot of copies I printed. Um, you know, when you make a book, you, you really need to print a few hundred copies, otherwise it's not doing... This is not a sort of um, put your pictures online and get a photo book, though. This is a proper, mm. um, you know, proper art artistic uh, endeavour. Mm. But, yeah, I've got um, a body of street photography from... Um, well, it was intended to be northern Israel, but probably the whole of the country now, um, which was taken, um, I would think, from about 2015, 16, 17, 18, over those years. Um, and I'd quite like to publish that. Mm. Um, and I've got an interesting challenge here because there are a few charities that are interested to um, to get involved with it. Um and, and sell to raise money for, for their endeavours. Um, but they want to print in all sorts of different parts of the world. So I'm trying to um, find a platform where I can sort of press a button and 50 copies will come out in, in America yes. and, and 100 copies will come out in Germany, uh, you know, and 200 copies will come out in Yorkshire, whatever, wherever there's a need and, mm. and small changes can be made to each edition. So I'm exploring that and hopefully that will come together this year. Um, so that is, um, that is very much a live project. L lockdown creatively for me, you know, I've, I've produced two books during lockdown, but I, I don't think I've taken a picture. 
Mm. Um, so I haven't felt any compelling urge that there's something I want to say about lockdown. Yeah. Um, but I'm quite keen now people are about out and about again to get out and uh, and take some more pictures. Um, and, um, you know, places like London, really great, some great locations for street photography. Um, and uh, I don't know, when are we allowed overseas? I'd quite like to. Uh, <laughs> quite like to you know, that, that day I had in Tangiers, I got some fabulous shots and it was only a day. So so. Um, I think yeah. uh, I think there could be a few more little little hops to uh, to places to uh, to do some some more photography. So if one if people want to find out about your work, um, either the street um, photography that you do, or to find out more about your books, um, where can they find you? Websites, social media. So the 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 best way is to go onto Instagram and my page is straight pics, which is the word straight with P I X on the end. Um, there's vegansiniceland.com where the the book is available. It's also on Amazon, and I think it's half price on Amazon at the moment. That's really it for photography. Um, you can find out about all my other stuff at jonathanstraight.com, or find me on LinkedIn or Twitter, um, or Facebook. Fantastic. So, um, yeah, bits of me everywhere but the photography is really on instagram that's that is fantastic well i certainly enjoyed um looking at the mock-up of your of your book before it was um you know sort of uh became real as it were or physical shall i say it was real yep, but yep. physical people should head over and perhaps have a have a look at that and um, and definitely take a look at your, your Instagram. Sure, and we need to get you a copy to say thank you for this. Oh, bless. So happily, happily send you one. <laughs> oh, bless. That's really kind of you. Well, I've had a, a really lovely chat with you, Jonathan, and um, it's really interesting to hear sort of your story. Um, and, you know, I just love the fact as well that at seven years old, you were taking your, your first photographs and it stayed with you ever since. So that's... Uh, that's brilliant. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me on your on your podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. It was really interesting to chat with Jonathan all about his photography and his black and white portraits are really fantastic and do take a look at his book. Make sure you head over, check out his work on Instagram at straightpix, that's P-I-X, and at Vegans in Iceland. And I'll make sure any other links are in the podcast text as well. If you'd like to tell me your story and how you relate your photographic work to the environment and the world around you, do please get in touch, josiepurcellphotography.com. But I'll hope to see you next time. Bye.